Thank you, Jan and team. That was great. It's great to be together to worship the Lord, to engage in the truth. I encourage you guys with the fast coming up. I can give you biblical precedence for fasting, but to be honest with you, I don't completely understand it other than it's the tool God has given us to see breakthrough. And we do need breakthrough. We do want to see the things of the kingdom of God in the book, the Bible, come alive in our lives. And there are certain things that we need to stand and to focus and to come together as a body. And there's something happens when we do a corporate fast for breakthrough in various areas where we bear each other's burdens, where you maybe have lost faith to pray for that area, but we haven't. Or maybe I've lost the area, but you haven't. Is the body coming together to support one another for breakthroughs? Amen? Now, last week, as you know, Jeb shared, and he shared on decisions. And to, this is a reminder that we need to make decisions. Decisions, not just intellectual processes, but decisions that can be seen. Um, you know, to, to decide to do something is good, but that's just the beginning. That's not the end. And so much of James is about how then that you've made the decision, how you then should live. How to live. That's actually a lot of the epistles of the New Testament are how to live. God says, love your neighbor. How do I love? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It'll tell you what love looks like. It's not just meant to be a sentimental emotion that I'm somehow conjuring up, but there's a verb portion to it. Naturally, we need a noun in order to have a verb, but the verb is very important, the action. And this is very much about what James is about. And we need to get into the Word and to, to, to allow it to speak to us. You may know the Word, but are you convinced? In Romans chapter 8, I love the way that Paul says, he doesn't say that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He goes on height nor depth. He goes, I am convinced. In order for Paul to be convinced, he must first be convicted with the truth. In order to first be convicted, it meant that God highlighted something. We may call it an anointing, but there's something that happened with the word that pierced him. Now, it was his responsibility to react to that piercing. To not take lightly when God moves on you. To not take lightly when God shows you something. Maybe you're sitting there and God speaks and you're crying. Write it down. Do not take it for granted. So that we may be convinced. Not constantly trying to conjure something out. No, 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 dude, that's, that's done. I'm convinced. And this is what we want to get into, into the Word. Where it's not just thoughts and ideas, but no, we're convinced. Is Jesus the Son of God? Yes, I'm convinced. Did He die on the cross for my sins? Yes, it's dealt with. No matter what the social media says, no matter what your news says, no matter what your teachers in universities say, no matter what the agenda of the culture is, I'm convinced. The brethren used to say, we're spoiled to the world. For we're convinced. We're going to jump into James again. And I'm going to, I hate to say it, these PowerPoints are nothing like the PowerPoints you've seen for the last five weeks. <laughs> Welcome back to the mundane. I did try and get inspired, but it just was no anointing. So we're going to jump into James chapter 4 and finish James 
verses um, 11 to 17, and just trust God here. So just open your heart. We need the Lord to speak to us. We need to take that word and communicate it to us. So, Father, we humble ourselves. Anything of any value is from you. We ask for revelation. We open our hearts. We ask for you to speak. We open our ears to hear. We just pray that whatever we each one here needs, Lord, we trust that you have the sustenance, that you will feed, that you will cause growth. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start off with some light uh, verses here. <laughs> A very familiar subject that most everyone in this room will have an opinion on. Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. One who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you judging your neighbor? Some light uh, appetizers to start. Speak against, just the Greek word, it's usually in this verb form. It means to slander someone when he or she is not there to offer defense. We used to kind of laugh and say in our youth group, be there or be talked about. Kind of idea? You get that? So it's essentially talking about people in a negative manner without them being able to present to defend themselves. This is what this means, this Greek word. And slander generally, I would say, is accompanied by judgment. And as a result, there's much strife and division. In fact, at the beginning of this chapter, he says, there's a lot of strife and division in these people. And this is one of the reasons. Now, James enlightens us here that when we actually do this, we speak against the law and become its judge. What law is he speaking of in James? The royal law. What is the royal law? The law of love. He said that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus in John 13 gave them a new commandment. It can be called the law of Christ. It has to love one another. I command you to love. <laughs> That's the language used. It's not a suggestion. This is the law, the jurisdiction for the Christian. Laws are about jurisdiction. American law applies to America. Canadian law applies to Canada, and those within the jurisdiction. So we have been freed from the law of sin and death, but now the law of Christ is that of love. And way beyond the sentimental love, way beyond something that is teary-eyed or something you make, as it were. He says, when you speak against us, we're essentially brushing aside the commandment of Christ and establishing a law ourselves. We say, no. I will not submit to that law. Try that in Canada. We know what happens. You get put in prison. We violate his law of love to establish our own law and thus become a judge. We nominate ourselves to the position of judge. Now, this is obviously very presumptuous, and James is quick to point out that we are in no position to take this course of action. That we deceived, and dare I say, we've forgotten our place. There's only one lawgiver and judge. Remember that. 
Now, I don't think I'm out of line here to say that everyone here hearing me at some times has fallen into this at some point. That we'd never call it slander, maybe some light to, you know, gossip. Now, why? Why? I think to myself, I, I analyze myself, I ask the Lord, why do I fall into this? What happens? And I do think it, it would be helpful to sort of under, to, to, to investigate the mindset that, that produces this. To be able to better understand when we're starting to slip into it. You know, it never just happens. There's sort of this slide. You know, it says you drift away as it were. Let's look at the context of, remember the context of Roman, or James 4 here, 11 and 12. I think it would be helpful. This is the verse just prior that we went over last, Sunday, or last time I preached on this. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. I think this is a key that comes before 11 and 12 to healthy relationships with God and with each other. In humility, we esteem others better than ourselves. We look to serve and edify one another versus being an arrogant, judgmental person. James highlights the carnal attitudes of these people towards one another, and it's causing great conflict and quarrels amongst them. Just as one is not as fit to drive under the influence of drugs or alcohol, one is not fit to judge under the influence of pride. You're a very dangerous person. Why? We'll look into it. Pride blinds us. It's an amazing thing, pride. Very deceptive. One of Jesus' indictments of the Pharisees, who were the most religious, the most esteemed religious leaders in Israel at the time, was their complete lack of spiritual sight. They were the blind leading the blind, he said. What is the root of the blindness? Pride. And of course, pride, which leads to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Where is our righteousness? Christ-righteousness. Is anyone here righteous? It's Christ's righteousness. And it's remarkable to see pride and self-righteousness in others and in ourselves, how it creeps up. Bubbles up. And at the zenith of spiritual blindness, the prideful proclaim they see the clearest. Have you seen that? The most arrogant people in our culture, and maybe yourself, the most proud, are the ones that say, follow me, I see with 20-20 vision. That's full of pride. And Jesus, you're blind. You are a very dangerous person. Their standard of righteousness must be adopted and submitted to. The ones who claimed their own standard of righteousness crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Proud people do not like Jesus. Because proud people don't like to know that they're sinners in need of a righteousness, not of their own, but a righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Proud people don't like that. It is a true statement that the most destructive force in relationship is that of pride and self-righteousness. Think of your own relationships where they're fractured. Look at them. Look where it, if you were to run a soil sample, you know what I mean, a soil sample, on the hearts of each person, you know what a soil sample is? You just Let's see what's in that, that heart, the soil sample. 
we'd find many things. Hurt, offense, anger, bitterness. But you will not find humility in the midst of that. Oh, you might, you might find that which masquerades as humility. Self-deprecation, self-pity, insecurity. But it's not humility. It's still self. 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 That is the consistency. Paul says, not I, but Christ. And it's the awareness of Christ, not self, that is the critical component in all of this. We must become aware of these situations that happens and guard our hearts and not slip into pride when things are going sideways in relationships. When you're annoyed, when you're overlooked, when you're hurt, when somebody says something off the cuff and it goes deep and and it starts to fester. Revelation 3, a very familiar church to many people, the Laodicean church. Of all the churches, there's seven that the Lord talks to in Revelation. Most of us know about Laodicea. And he says this to this church, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm, neither cold, nor, or no, sorry, nor, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. What's God's perspective? You don't realize you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. They have a very different perspective when you're in pride to that of Christ. They're spiritually completely blind. In their mind, everything's going awesome. They're living as some of the TV preachers saying, living their best life now. But this is what he says, so I advise you, Jesus says to them, that you buy from me gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. Anointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent to turn from your indifference. You'll note the highlighting of the eyes to see. Jesus points this out and directs them to buy ointment so they can see. The spiritually blind and self-righteous are not fit to judge anyone. So the question I now have in a culture that you will hear all the time, getting judgy, don't judge me. You'll hear it a lot in church. To judge or not to judge? That is the question. Is there any place for it? Let's have a look. Matthew chapter 7, a very familiar passage. Even to the world, they, if you go to many weddings, even the world has 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage, but they all know this one. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you're using in judging is, judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Sobering. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your eye and you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The standard of judgment we use will be used on us. 
That in itself is sobering. Would you like to be judged the way that you judge others? The lack of grace. The quick indictments. Going right from judgment to to sentencing. Now, of course, the self-righteous person thinks they fulfill their own judgment requirements. So maybe not. Maybe it doesn't matter. Again, you will note the eye is highlighted again. The ability to see. And a speck in your eye, believe me, you've had a speck in your eye. It's actually quite irritating. It's not a small thing, a speck. You, you know, you're trying to get it out. And you're like, God, I get this thing out. If you ever got some sawdust or something in your eye, it's quite annoying. It's not to say that's not insignificant. You will see that many of the passages that speak on judgment are speaking to the one who is doing the judging. It's not saying it's fine, the sin that the person being judged is walking in. But it addresses the heart of the individual. This is in juxtaposition to what James is speaking of in chapter 4. The heart of condemning and judging. The aggression. The, 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 the lack of humility. The humble person is submitted to the royal law and thereby able to appeal to wayward Christian. He doesn't say, walk away, don't judge. No, he says, you are blind. How are you able to help them? Get the log out of your own eye. Humble yourselves before God. From that place of humility and the fulfillment of the law, you can better able now help your sinful brother or sister. They don't take the seat of judgment, but come as a help, help the person in need. You guys familiar with this story in John 8? It's a woman who's caught in adultery. Jesus is teaching in the temple, and he's brought and thrown, a woman is brought to him by the Pharisees and thrown at his feet. She's caught in the act of adultery. She's guilty. She's an adulteress. Now, these guys are ignorant. He's, the last person they should have brought this woman to was Jesus. He did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That law came through Moses. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. So, so he, he sort of toys with them. But in the, whole, the whole highlight of this parable is not so much the woman, because he does not nod and say it's fine to commit adultery. He actually says, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing befall you. But he deals with the hearts of the judgmental people. That, that heart of condemnation and self-righteousness. And he toys with them, and he's, he's sort of is, he seemed to be uninterested. And he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And of course, slowly, one by one, they leave. But it's an indictment on the hearts of the individuals. How dangerous the self-righteous and the proud are. And Jesus is grieved by it. It's bizarre. But he says to her, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Stop this. Paul gives us great insight in dealing with sin in the church with one another. In dealing with Issues that happen, and you do see this, and sin does, it is a, there is a deception to sin that you may not see, but your brother or sister does in your life. And they say, like, dude, you're going the wrong way. Don't judge me. 
There's nothing you can do. But if you come from the heart of compassion, let's look at it, what Paul says here in Galatians. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back to the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in the same way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. It's a great statement, eh? I mean, how much do we focus on self-esteem? We need Christ-esteem, right? Gentleness and humility, not arrogance and judgment. Especially as you get older, you're amazed at what a sinner you are, the potentiality for sin in your life. That you look at other people, it's no longer like, yeah, no, I get it. When you watch, see people walk in unforgiveness, no, I've, I've done that, I've walked that walk. It's toxic. Bitterness, yeah, no, I get it. It's like drinking poison, hoping that someone else is going to die. Resentment, hurts, festering. So much of deliverance, whether it's deliverance from demons or just deliverance from sin, it's got to do with these, these, these areas of hurt and pain that we, we fester and harbor in. I get it. It's hard. It's hard to forgive your parents or your father or your job or your husband or your wife or your whatever, whatever relationship that is intimate that you've been hurt by. I get it, but, but you've got to picture Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, remember Stephen? Father, forgive them. He gets it. He's rised out of the muck and the mire of sin and sees it clearly, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Sin and righteousness. It's all very clear. There's no playing games. He knows his place. His place is before the Lord. And anything of any value that comes from him, he's not trying to fight for himself. Seek first the kingdom, and the rest will be added. But the world, I know, we get it. We seek first the finances, seek first the houses, seek first hoping, and then hoping somehow to do kingdom work when it's all to be forsaken in Christ alone. That is the clarity that these people walked in. Kingdom. Clarity. And in that spirit and understanding, when a brother is in sin or a sister is in sin, or you're in sin and somebody's coming to you, maybe pointing something out to you to go, this is not judgment, this is help. This is like a doctor saying, hey, you might want to stop eating at McDonald's every day. It's affecting your health. It's affecting your effectiveness. What you consume, what you meditate on, what you think on, what you contemplate on. When you're early morning and you're waking, when you're susceptible to more spiritual things, what comes into your mind? We know that we too could fall in. As he says, be careful. Obey the law of Christ. Love. It's not cosmopolitan love. Do you understand that, the magazine? If you don't know, don't worry. Whatever. The world's love. Love is love. It's not, it got nothing to do with any of the world's definition of love. It's agape love of God. It is a selfless love. But it's the most fulfilling love you can be engaged in. It's a consuming love. It doesn't, it's not about circumstance. It's, 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 it's a higher love. It is from God. Think correctly about yourself. You who are proud here, you here who are righteous on yourself, you here who think you've got it all figured it out. 
that you know everything, that you know how every church should do and what all people should do, and why aren't you doing this more, and, and, and so on. If you think yourself too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Know your place. Worship means prostrating yourself before the Lord. That's why we need to worship a lot. We need to find our place always in the Lord before him. There's a lot more you could say on this, but I'm going to continue into the next verse. It is still connected, but it now has to do with not us and each other, but us and God. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet you do not know where your life will be tomorrow, let alone two weeks from now. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Again, we see the symptoms of pride. This time, it's got to do with our relationship with the Lord. It's a sorry state when the Christian does not consider God's will or desires. Really is a sorry state. We get so caught up in our futures, what we will do, where we will live, all the while forgetting the one in whom we have submitted our lives to, Jesus, the boss, the Lord, the commander-in-chief, our master. Again, when me, myself, and I take over, you know, the three is the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I, pride moves in. It's very subtle. Very subtle. And humility evaporates. And very, forget, very quickly, we forget my place. I forget it so quickly. And sobriety is not found. Sobriety. Be sober. Be vigilant. Sobriety. Are you sober? The scary thing is that we actually can feel like we are well in control. And things are flying. We're doing great. We're building our little kingdom. How many future plans do you make without even a thought of God's will? Where we live. I'm moving to such and such city. Why? I like the weather. Like what? I'm moving here, moving there. Why? I just like to. A better job. Really. Have you ever considered God's will? You're here for a vapor. No one can guarantee tomorrow. You're like a flower that fades. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Our finances. Have you ever considered what God wants you to do with your money? Like, look at it. Paycheck comes in. Have you considered it? Who you marry? Really, you got to consider that, man. That's praying fasting. I think sometimes we, we can begin to think that Jesus came so we can have anything our will desires. Like the genie. Jesus comes out, and all the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is for our will and satisfaction. Forgetting our place. Forgetting our place before him. This is not the mindset of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom, by the way, you're being conformed into the image of. 
whom the transformation of our minds, the metamorphosis. He says, not my will, but yours be done, Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He only came to do his Father's will. He only spoke what he saw, heard his Father speak. He only did what he saw his Father doing. This is Christianity. This is what it means to be a Christian. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. So we see the pride, how it affects relationship with one another and relationship with God. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Know your place. Humility is just reality. It's not a fiction. I'm kind of being humble. No, humility is just accepting the truth. Apart from Grecian formula, no one can hear one hair black or white. Except from painting there. Yeah, you know who you are. This last verse. So for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. It's an interesting verse. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because we're just nearing the end. But normally we think of sin as something you do, an action or not do. James is highlighting a sin of inaction. And just because of the context we're talking about today, I want to, I want to bring it in. I think it can be used beyond this. But what is the right thing to do? I've told you what the Scriptures say. That clearly, it says it itself. You didn't need me to tell you it. To humble yourselves. Do you know to do that now? You don't have to wait for a feeling. To stop slandering people. Bite your tongue, my mom used to say. I always used to think it was a weird thing as a kid, but bite your tongue. And when you begin to bite your tongue, you begin to take thoughts captive as well. But first, you've got to stop speaking it. Then you can start taking them captive. To obey the law of Christ, love, love. Then when we begin to love one another, then maybe we can love our enemies. And you, political people, can begin to actually intercede from a position of love for Trudeau. And you Americans pick up whatever. Where you can truly be like God, who causes the rain to come on the just and the unjust. To simplify your life of all the baggage of sin. To enter in to the God that is love. It's the very essence of who He is. It's not just an attribute. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is love. Lord, reveal to us, even now, the people we judge. I ask you to reveal to us, Holy Spirit, the book that we have of the people who have done us wrong. If you've been on this planet for any time, any length of time, somebody's done you wrong. Show us that book, Lord. Show us those areas of our lives that we have people in chains, not realizing we're the ones in chains. Think of Jesus looking upon the ones who scourged him. The ones who mocked him and put a blindfold on him and beat his face and said, prophesy, who hit you? The son of God who at any time could have had a legion of angels. He looks upon them and says, Father, forgive them. He died for them. Greater love is no man than to lay down his life. 
Who here does not want to be like Jesus? If you are a Christian, you long to be holy. Yes, you are holy, but I'm talking to your actions. You're positionally holy, yes, but now be holy. Act it. You're seated in heavenly places. Now act like it. Stand with me together, please. I'm just going to pray that I desperately want to see for this year for myself and for this church simple, simple, simple gospel, simple Christianity, that of love. They will know you're Christians. That means you're not like the world. You're foreigners to the world by your love. And it's a love that comes from within. But we must be first convinced of God's love for ourselves and God's love for each other. Just open your hearts. If there's someone you need to forgive and release, Holy Spirit, we ask, just lead us in repentance. Lord, we just want to release. We find our place again before you. Not a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that is solely based on what Jesus Christ has done. There is none good but God. And we confess these sins, these sins of of hurt and pains and things that keep going on. Lord, we want to release these people. And in doing so, release ourselves. We want to live. So we humble ourselves before you. And ask that you would move, Lord, and break chains, Lord, and lead us in confession and repentance. We take the book of remembrance of hurts, a book of remembrance of all the things, all the things that have gone wrong, all the places, all the people, and we just want to put it on a fire. We want to burn it, Lord. We ask that you would help us release this, Lord. Help us release, oh God. And we ask, Father, that you would impart your love in a fresh way. The revelation, Lord, a conviction, a conviction of God's love. A conviction that you will never leave us nor forsake us. A conviction that you're committed to us. A conviction that you're not like man. You're not, you don't lie. You speak and you mean what you say. We pray release, oh God, into families. Forgiveness. Release judgment. Release slander and gossip. Let's be a church of love, the law of Christ, the royal law, to love you first, Lord, and love each other. Speak, oh God, I pray. I'm just going to ask these guys to play this song. Just allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak, to lead you. You are loved. Your Father loves you. You are loved. He leads you to repentance. He leads you to freedom, the weight of heavy sin, the burden of sin, the burden of self-righteousness, the burden of judgment, to roll off, confess it, and look to Christ. Look holy upon Jesus.